Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Soundcheck, the rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. My name is Michael Livingston, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Andrew Mullen. And today, we're doing our first list episode of the year. You know them. Well, the you, season. The season. You're right. Uh, you know them. You love them. Uh, some of my favorite episodes to do personally, just because I love... You've done one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed the one you did with Elio, because uh, we get to talk about... We were just ranting about politics half the time with that one. That is true. (laughs) That is true. I have no idea if that got any backlash. We don't have a big enough fan base to really (laughs) gauge if we have ever get backlash or not. No, the reason I love these episodes is because we explore so many different bands and genres at the same time and combine them in a way, and we can just talk, you know, it's the the real challenge is keeping these episodes short, which we're going to try to do today. But uh, still, these are some of my favorite episodes to yes. do. It's also a time where we get into spirited discussion, we'll, we'll, we'll say beforehand. Yeah. So um, go yeah. ahead with our housekeeping real quick. Yes. Uh, we have a Twitter account. Uh, you can find us at SCheckOfficial mm-hmm. on Twitter. And our personal Twitter accounts for me is Michael C. Liv. I had no idea we're still doing those. Uh, okay. Andrew Mullen 4. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to get it all in, dude, because right. I, I still need followers. So, yeah. <laughs> have you made any tweets since? since nope. <laughs> so why do you expect to get followers? You have two tweets. I don't know, man. We'll see. <laughs> okay. But anyway, uh, hey, you probably heard some new intro music on the last episode, which was Saint Vincent. Um, I made an announcement about this on our Talking Heads episode that unfortunately did get lost. Uh, to, I mean, to the computer gods, I yeah, suppose. I mean, it happens. It happens. And, and, you know, we had Elio back for that one, and it was a good episode. But unfortunately, things happen. But, uh, you know, that episode, uh, I announced the, uh, the new intro music. Um, I wrote those guitar parts myself and recorded it with a good friend of ours, good friend of the show, um, Ben Ackley, who's also a CM Life reporter. And you guessed it on our uh uh, 60s garage rock episode. That is correct. Um, he has, he's a really good friend of ours. He's a great music producer, great musician. Um, he just performed on Summit Sessions Live. Please go check that out and support his music. He is a uh, amazing musician, and he really did us a great service by producing that music. Uh, you know, it, it was... Uh, I, I like how it turned out. It kind of has like a... Uh, I, 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 it's, I said... I think I said it sounds like a Joy Division did porn music. Right. <laughs> I mean, you, know, you like it, though. You like I, it. I, I, liked, oh, I liked it. It was. It's just like, I, I think, we, no, here's the thing, Michael. When you told me that it was like, this kind of sounds like porn music, you sold me instantly. Yeah. Why wouldn't I agree to have our intro music sound like porn? Exactly. I mean, you're, it's, you're not going to get what you want out of it, but you know. No. But you, you, but yeah, you you might get come out with some new musical discoveries. Exactly, exactly. Of other things, let's move on from this topic. I please. agree. I agree. So, what are we talking about today, Michael? Well, today we put together a awesome list of some cover songs that are better than the originals. That's the key part of this list. Not not just simply being good covers. No, you have to overshadow or at least out. Well, I mean, not even overshadow, just outperform the original mm-hmm. song. Yeah, and that can mean a lot of different things. And, um, you know, we we uh, started to do this list-making format. That, uh, we called it the squirrel method. Well, we did it for one. Yeah. And uh, we realized it wasn't going to really work. I think I think the squirrel rating should be reserved for artists and albums because it just kind of mm-hmm. reflects it better. It's kind of hard to do it for us just, like, 
it's that kind of stuff for songs, especially if it wasn't a single. Right. So. And we kind of um, we made this list very impromptu, but I still think it turned out very accurate and very um, inform informational. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of these songs just come from our personal opinion. Yes. Um, you're going to get – it's a great mixture of genres as yes, well. I would say so. Um, you know, we. I feel like the last time we – I think we had a, a, a surplus of metal yeah, on, on, the, on the list uh, for our um, top ten debut metal albums. Metal is pretty cool. But, um, of course. It, it is – it unfortunately just missed a cut from this list. So, mm -hmm. uh, But, no, we still got plenty of – covers that I think a lot of music fans would agree with, some mm -hmm. maybe not as much, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. Some of these are going to be, you're going to recognize them immediately. Some of them are a little more underground. We, we, we tried to like stray away from just doing all like the big ones that everyone knows. You kind of right. wanted a little more variety, a little more unpredictability, I Absolutely. suppose. Absolutely. Uh, before we dive into the list though, a uh, question I wanted to ask, Let's big question, what do you think of covers? I played in a high school cover band so <laughs> so i i agree with the ethics of covering <laughs> a song i mean the ethics of covering i mean wow. when you learn an instrument you learn an instrument by playing other people's songs usually right? yeah usually and to take a song and completely turn it over and turn it into something original in your own style in your own uh way of making music um is in art form in itself yeah. it's it's a skill in itself typically i am in your same boat uh i i always like how people and you know when, when i was for for a long time i i did not like hip-hop in the sense that like i had no appreciation for it it's not music that was my cranky 15 year old yeah self. the ben shapiro opinion <laughs> <laughs> oh. you say that to me again i'm going to punch you that was uncalled for i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> but no, I was fuck. <laughs> no, when when I I was gonna say when I first saw my first like documentary and like um, in the high school my high school music appreciation class about mm -hmm. it when it was first forming in New York and I saw how they did a lot of sampling. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, wow, that's actually you're repurposing riffs and musical ideas to make your own thing, exactly. and that I can completely respect. And covers are typically the same way, unless you absolutely bastardize the original version <laughs> or T.O. album. Yeah, for the most part. <laughs> and I was more lazy than bastardization. Hmm. But tip, typically, yeah, if, unless, if, if it's just for like a corporate cash grab or if it's bastardizing the original, mm -hmm. if it's doing that, I'm not going to agree with it. But other than that, I typically more in favor of covers than not so. Because sometimes you'll see combinations like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. Why did no one do this before? Or, yeah, that, yes, I really want them to do that. We're like, whoa. I, that is the oddest combination ever, but somehow that worked. It's always fun to see those. And I like how sometimes um, a, a song is covered so many times oh. that it almost becomes, you know, it becomes annoying at times, but also yeah. it, it almost becomes this interesting competition on who has the best version of a, t a particular song. Yeah. Like, for example, like I a song like Everybody Wants to Rule the World is covered all the time. A song like yes. Take on Me is covered all yes. the time. Um, in fact, I was just double check myself but mm -hmm. yes uh currently the mo the song with the most that's been the most covered of all time is yesterday by the beatles yeah which is weird to me because i was thinking about that it's like do you know any yesterday covers no which is so i don't know like, I, I feel don't know how I, many it's those probably it's probably covered by a lot of um you know solo acoustic performers y oh i would imagine you know and but like how many different things can you really do with yesterday i know it's a, it's a very 
stripped down, very unique song, That's which actually leads in to our number 10 pick. Oh, sure. <laughs> Look uh, at that transition, actually, my friend. yes, it does. You Look at correct. that transition. That was, a, that was an Elio transition right there. <laughs> there you go. You, you guys didn't miss a out nasty. some Elio transitions in our... <sighs> yeah. Uh, great ones in our... We got to have them back. We got to redo that episode or, one or, of these days. Yeah, It'll happen. It, it, but anyways... But anyway, in our, our in our number 10 spot. spot. So we, first of all, before we... Go for Savor it. Savor it. Yeah. Um, savor it? Say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, these first two picks, kind of like how we did for the political episode um, that I did with Elio, these are our personal picks. These are not ones that we, like, I, I don't think either one of us would probably have picked this, to both, like, agreed to have put this on the list, but these <laughs> are the two we felt like, between the one of one of us at least, yes. had to had to be on the list. So right. this is your pick, correct? This is my pick, and I picked Smashing Pumpkins cover of Landslide, originally written by Fleetwood Mac. Um, and I first heard this song probably in like eighth grade when I was first getting into the Smashing Pumpkins. One of the first Smashing Pumpkins songs I had ever heard, in fact. Um, and while I can probably say you and I are both agree we're not the biggest Fleetwood Mac fans. No, I, I've always said I, I have, I can understand why people would like them mm-hmm. to an extent and I can suggest that they're at least trying to make great music. It's just for me, they've had just a couple things that always makes them feel fall sure. short for me, if that makes sense. But you said you you did like the uh, original version of uh, this song. So, I'm going to be quite real here. I didn't know either of these versions <laughs> before <laughs> doing this. Because um, again, I never really got too much into Fleetwood Mac. And for a while, and I I told you this. I used to hate the Smashing Pumpkins, which yeah, I know is a sin. It's crazy. Because I hated so Billy Corgan's voice when I was first getting into music. Like, yeah. except for 1979, because I had a lot of nostalgia from that, because my dad played in the car all the time. Right. Um, I just never got into his voice until a few years after getting into music, and I'm still slowly getting getting into the stuff that I had looked over. Sure. So. I had heard before, though, that this is a great cover, and I can kind of see why. I like how it's a little more stripped down than the Fleetwood Mac version. Mm-hmm. And, again, I, I love his voice now, so I can really hear, like, the kind of the pain and anguish that he brings to that. Absolutely. But to me personally, and this is why it kind of ended up being your personal pick, mm-hmm. I didn't see much difference between the two. I thought the Fleetwood Mac was just almost as equally delicate as this one, apart from that electric guitar solo towards the end. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's hard to take an already stripped-down song and take it even more to its bare bones. Yeah. Um, it would have been interesting to see them go the complete opposite way oh, and do, like, a, just, a real rock cover. That would have been great, especially How with, cool like, just Billy just screaming in, like, pain or something. Yeah. Over that would, I'd actually be really interested in hearing huh. that. I want to hear that now. I want, you know what, they, when I saw them live, they covered this, too, and okay. I was wondering if they would do something different with it. Yeah. But they, they, they pretty much stick to the record. Yeah. But I love this cover because, um, you know, love you, Stevie Nicks, but Billy Corrigan just puts this song in a whole new perspective with how he sings it and putting all this emotion in there. Um, when I hear Stevie sing it, I can't really hear when she sings the lyrics like, um, you know, I built my life around you. All these very personal lyrics, I, I can't feel the emotion as much as I do when I'm listening to a Smashing Pumpkins cover of it. And going back to instrumentals, um, you know, taking an already stripped-down song and making it stripped down even further, taking away those electric solos and replacing it with just regular acoustic guitar, you know, it's it it puts the song in a whole different perspective for me. 
Um, and it's just really personal. And I can I can listen to this song in a bittersweet way, in a positive way. Um, I can, depending on how I'm feeling at the time of listening to it, I, it'll adapt to my emotions. And it's interesting. Yeah, I, I I've, it's just always held a special place in my heart for some reason. All right. But uh, that's pretty much all I had to say on it. And like I said, we're going to kind of keep this moving very quickly. And I want to hear you talk about this next one because when you showed me this next cover, um, I was pretty blown away, not going to lie, of I'm good how... To Glad to hear. Yeah, of how one of our favorite bands yes. was able to transform this song. So go ahead. So the number nine is... So the number nine spot that we have is probably one you don't know very well. And this is my personal pick because whenever... I'm not going to say it's the best cover ever, mm-hmm. But whenever, for me personally, whenever someone says a cover done better than the original, I, I always think of this one. And that is Foo Fighters' take on um, Baker Street by Gary Rafferty. <laughs> so, um, for those who don't know, Gary Rafferty, I don't know much about Gary Rafferty. I mean, this, I want to, this is, this is this kind of his only hit. I don't know for sure I'd if he's say, a I'd true one, one hit wonder. But this is at least certainly the one that people would remember the most. And, <laughs> Uh, for me, um, the original certainly has a lot of nostalgia as well. Like I said with 79, this is a song that I remember my dad playing a lot when I was younger, either in the car or when he was getting ready for work, I'd hear this blaring in his bathroom speakers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely do have a lot of love for Gary Rafferty's version. Yeah, it's very horn-driven. Uh, it's got a bit of jazz to it. I mean, those horns are iconic. You, that's, oh, yeah. That was, that was a pivotal moment when Pit- I was like, oh, I don't know what Baker Street is. And then you play it for me, and then those horns hit. I'm like, I You've know what Baker Street is. Yeah. You don't know where exactly, but it's like it's a kind of one of those like horn lines. Like You don't know where you've heard it, but you know you've heard it when mm-hmm, you hear it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, um, certainly it's certainly a classic hit um, by any stretch of the means, but... A lot of people might not know that the Foo Fighters covered it. In fact, actually, this was kind of in the prime. This was the B-side to the My Hero single, mm-hmm. but back when that was um, around the color and the shape days. In fact, actually, if you buy, I think this is pretty much the version of the color and the shape you can buy on CD now. Mm-hmm. I think in twenty, in two thousand seven, they, when they reissued Color and the Shape, it's kind of a ten year anniversary. They just included, I think, all like the B-side and rarities from from that. So you get like. Five or seven extra songs, which is really cool. Did, when you, I, did you mean 1997 for Color in the Shape? You no, said 2007. That was when it reissued. Okay, gotcha. So gotcha. that's what I meant. Sorry. Just wanted to fact check, make sure. Um, so yeah, because it's seventh anniversary, 97. Mm-hmm. But anyways, yeah, when I first heard that, it's like, oh my god, I've heard this song somewhere. This is the song my dad played a lot when I was yeah. younger, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then I realized, holy crap, uh, the Foo Fighters version is a lot better in my eyes because. Oh man. And this is the ultimate for me, the ultimate example of a, of an artist taking taking a song and covering it with their mm-hmm. with one of their own elements of their sound. And for a lot of, for and, and people remember the Foo Fighters, they took a a, a classic songwriting uh, technique from the from Nirvana, soft verses, loud choruses, right. and that's exactly what they did to Baker Street. Mm-hmm. Baker Street kind of had that dynamic with the original, but not as much with the Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. When it opens, it, and when that main riff comes in, it's just got these blaring guitars, and it is so cool. Um, and then Dave Grohl comes in with these really soft, cool uh, vocals in the verse, and it's just kind of just dark and, and you know, 
I don't want to say creepy, but dark and, you know, kind of sad. Kind of guttural, yeah. Yeah. But then you also get that paired with some amazing drumming on this track. Probably, oh, absolutely. That's Remember, probably my Dave, favorite I component. would guarantee it's Dave who drummed on this because mm-hmm. he did all, pretty much did all the drums and the color and the shape. I know. And um, on top of that, the part that I really love, and everyone knows I, I when done correctly, I love me some contrast in my music. Mm-hmm. And when the, after the first verse ends, um, when the chorus kicks in, and the loud, blaring guitars come back, you still have Dave singing in that really cool voice, which is weird, because normally, and that, especially when you listen to Colin In that shape, instance, he'd be screaming. He's screaming, <laughs> yeah. but this is a different take on his vocal performances, and it just brings this whole new mood and energy to this song. I, I just love it. I, For me, personally, this is the definitive version. I rarely, if ever, listen to the original anymore, sure. which, which, the original's still good. I want to point that out, but... Mm-hmm. I just, for me, this is like the old, this is one of the ultimate covers. And yeah. it's a shame that I don't think anyone talks about it. You can't even find it on Spotify. Still. Yeah, that's the big point. Imagine if they played this at the show we were at. Oh, my, I would Or have, one of the shows you were at. I, I would have gone freaking crazy. <laughs> no kidding, dude. So. What an awesome song. All right, well, we'll keep it moving right, here. Sorry, I took a little too No, no, no. I'm glad you got that, all that passion out because that, it is really a great track. And it, it was it was mind-blowing when you first showed it to me and, like, how iconic I was able to recognize that song, you know. Yeah. So now we're going into definitely a Michael pick here um, <laughs> with uh, and, uh, probably possibly the most underground band, yeah, the most underground okay. artist we have yeah, on this list. Um, this is... Uh, Captain Jazz's cover of Take On Me, originally written by Aha. Yes. I got that right? Okay. Um, it's covered so many times yes. that I get the original artist Including, confused. Including uh, a recent power pop band mm-hmm. that might have been mentioned earlier in the show. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, this cover, to me, stands out from all the other covers of this song. Um, Captain Jazz, as you know, one of the original Midwest emo bands, talked about him at great length in the in our emo episode that came out last semester. Um, on this track, you get guitar tapping, you get uh, ballistic drums, you get Tim Kinsella just blaring his vocal cords out. It just and it perfectly just wraps up into this kind of janked take on this song that's so many times just uh, destroyed uh, when I hear other people cover it. Um, this, uh, when I heard, th- this is the first Captain Jazz song I ever heard the f- and what got me into them originally. And uh, to this day, I listen to this song all the time. And it's it, still, it stands as one of Captain Jazz's best work. Interesting. I, I, I do not know Captain Jazz enough to to fully comment on that last part, but mm-hmm. I, I can certainly tell I do enjoy this more than the original. Mm-hmm. To me, the original, it, it's... I, I really hate saying that things sound dated. Mm-hmm. I don't like... I, I don't tend to like that very much because it was... It, it means practice of its time because it was made during that time. I really... To me, like, if, if it's... The song still stands up, um, the song's still going to stand up even if the production's shoddy or if it's got some weird songwriting quirks. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it... I, I, don't, I don't care about something sounding dated. However... Those keyboards do kind of sound like crap to me on the original. I, mm-hmm. I don't like them, how just kind of weak they sound on that. And, yeah, Captain Jazz definitely brings something very new to it. I, I really like it. Um, the love the guitar tapping and then the vocals on that, like you said. Mm-hmm. However, I'm going to give you your shot. However, the it. one thing I discovered when doing this uh, research, and while certainly the, the, ver- the, the Captain Jazz version is better than the original, mm-hmm. I'll give you that, which is why I let it be on this list. 
I found out that Real Big Fish, classic ska <laughs> punk band of the 90s, did a cover of this. It, is one, it was one of those moments like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. Why wasn't this done sooner? The mm-hmm. horns fit the riff beautifully. Uh, the ska beat also fits it beautifully. And it just makes it just the most fun version of the song. This is, to me, this song is supposed to exude fun to me yes. in some aspects. And no one, I, I, none of the covers I've heard, especially the fucking Weezer one, does, <laughs> it, <laughs> does it more, um, does justice to the idea of the song being fun more than the Real Big Fish version. I do like the Captain Jazz take on it, but I think the Real Big Fish version is the best one. Scott scum over here is what you are. Oh, screw you. <laughs> no, I, I will I actually, shake my little heart out. I, I actually did enjoy when you showed me the real big fish version of it, but you know, you know me, a Midwest emo boy at heart. I I I, I plugged hard to get this on the list. So I'm glad I, I, I let you add it because I made yes, some other because some of some of these other ones are more me picks, so mm-hmm. that's why I let it. Anyways, but anyway, what's our, next? Next we got a classic cover oh, yeah. that everybody's gonna know. Yes, um, this is definitely one that I think a lot of people would know. Mm-hmm. We got Jeff Buckley's cover of Hallelujah originally by Leonard Cohen. Mm-hmm. Um, you've heard this song everywhere, um, not only in a lot of major movies and TV shows, but also just as a um, a kind of societal stance on just grieving and sadness. This song was actually played... Um, after the Boston bombings um, at a Red Sox game. Oh, really? Just, you know, to represent that sort of grief and emotion. And only this song sort of provides that, I feel. Um, I think I was the one who originally brought this into consideration for the list, just because I know um, if it wasn't on there, people would have thought we had problems. Because it's just such an iconic cover. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I will say this. I was not the one to bring it here because, you know, I, I'm going to be real. I, at least before I did this, I was not crazy on either version because, I mean, I'm going to be straight honest. I'm, an, I'm a heathen atheist, so the whole religious themes didn't really appeal to me. And, and when, but when doing research, um, I, I did realize why I think the Jeff Buckley version stands way more than the test of time than Leonard Cohen's because mm-hmm. when you hear the Leonard Cohen one, it is drenched in, in, in choir and gospel music. Mm-hmm. You guys, all that, again, you have that gospel choir singing in the chorus. Um, you have just a, it's just so, the religious themes on Leonard Cohen's version is so heavy handed. Mm-hmm. For someone like me who's not very religious, it kind of comes off as, you know, like, like oh, I don't want to hear this. It's well, just, it's I, not I, I for me. I want to jump off that point by just by, uh, you know, in- increasing my love for this song. It's so hard, probably one of the hardest things to do in music, to turn sacred music into secular music. Yeah. Um, going from a song that's written for a purpose for worship yes. and turning it into a song for the general public, right? Mm-hmm. So to to have that and be able to do that and make it as iconic as it is, I mean, this song is on all the lists, man. It's on Rolling Stone's greatest songs of all time yes. in, in so many other publications. And, and you know, and, and that's where I got more of appreciation for Jeff Buckley's version um, because when I heard it, it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, it, with, without, that, without the overwhelming, you know, qu- gospel choirs, it, it's much more accessible for, for, for people, for, I guess, more of a secular audience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, hearing him, it's like, and I think you said this when we were discussing this, it kind of made the meaning of the song, Jeff did at least, made the meaning of the song more ambiguous and more Absolutely. open for interpretation. Absolutely. 
And, you know, and I think his vocals and just, like, and the stripped-down nature of the song really sells it for me. So, you know, I, I was kind of hesitant at first, but, like, after you, after kind of doing research and talking with you, I mm -hmm. realized, yeah, this had to be on the list. Absolutely. I mean, let's just keep it moving from there, man, because right. now that we just got that in there and out of the way, now um, we're going into Shoot. an iconic song. Um, uh, but... So, well, I want to introduce it this way. Mm -hmm. So number it. six, we number six, right? Yep. yep. Number six, we have Johnny Cash's cover of "In My Life" by the Beatles. Now you, you thought it was going to be hurt, hurt, but we right. psyched you out. So, yes, that's exactly what I wanted to do. <laughs> but because here's the thing, her could have easily been on this list, Definitely. easily. Definitely. And because it, it is, in fact, it's topped many lists like this for mm -hmm. covers, but in the original because it's so iconic, it's so well done. Mm -hmm. However. The thing that always gets to me, and I love, I, I love both versions of her, but I especially love Johnny Cash's version. The thing that always gets to me is that no one ever talks about this cover, which appears on the same album, America, America 4, that Johnny Cash did right before he died. No one ever talks about it. I think it is just as powerful. If, if I want to say more so, but at least just as powerful as the her cover, and just Absolutely. as sad and Absolutely. heartbreaking. And when I went into this for the first time, putting this list together, you know, I went back and listened to the Beatles version, which I love. You know, it's it's everything you want out of something off Rubber Soul. It's got that weird baroque kind of harpsichord piano, kind of in the middle. It's got you know those those classic Beatles songwriting techniques. But when I hear Johnny Cash's version of it, how stripped down it became. I think this is what it should have been all along. Yes, that's, that's what I always said. And because, again, I'd like to remind everyone, this record, this was the last, I, yeah, it was the last record that was released before Cash died. And I, I don't know how soon Cash died after. I, I, I don't think it was released posthumously. But, yeah, when you when you hear this song, I mean, it's essentially a song about reflection, reflecting on your life. Definitely. And... How old were the Beatles when they yeah, recorded this? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. That's the thing. The Beatles were, at, at, at most, in their late 20s, early 30s, when right. they released In My Life. I mean, granted, to them, like, they were, that was in the middle of their career. They felt like it probably had been decades for them because sure. it was the whirlwind of Beatlemania. But still, what fucking shit did they have to reflect on? <laughs> and, like, in their, in, like, their late 20s, early 30s. Sure. Cash was about to die. He had, like... I want to say at least 40 plus years in the music mm -hmm, industry. Mm -hmm. He had a life and a hard life at that too. Mm -hmm. He had a lot to look back on. And it's just why his renditions of Hurt and In My Life are just so powerful. Absolutely. Because it has that, because you have like the, it, it's kind of like the Black Star thing where mm -hmm. they had mm -hmm. the perspective of, of essentially a dying man Absolutely. On, the, on these songs. And, and what, I, what I like about these two, I think they're such great pairs. It, while they're both heartbreaking, Hurt is a little darker with it and a little, like, kind of, like, moodier and, yeah. like, sorrowful with it. In my life, it's a little, it's still really sad, but it's a little happy with it, too, because it's about reflection. It's not necessarily looking about all the bad stuff. Exactly. So exactly. I, I think it's a perfect yin-yang, and it just, I think it's a crime that no one ever talks yeah. about this one. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to put this one on the list. You put it into context perfectly. I could have said it better myself. I mean, right from there, we can keep going on, though. To one of the most iconic covers of all time. One of the most iconic feminist anthems of all time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Next up at number five, we got Respect by Aretha Franklin, originally by... Otis Redding. Otis Redding. So, uh, 
go ahead. I was, I was, I was gonna kind of expose you here, but if you, if you don't mind, feel free. You didn't know this was a cover. Before, I did not. Which surprised me because, yeah, this is one of the. I'm not. I'm not gonna judge you, but it's surprising because it's one of the most famous covers ever. We'll put, and, we'll put this into context real quick. The re, me not knowing it was a cover just goes to show you how iconic Aretha's oh, version absolutely. of it is. Like, and that was actually a problem that came a lot when, when writing this list. Like, for example, for being honest, Me Bobby Biggie by James Joplin should probably be on this list. But like you said, do you know the original? I'm like, no. Like, well, <laughs> it's like, well, we can't say it's better than the original. Right. And granted, and that's kind of what ended up happening a lot of the times because we actually had to go back and research what the original sounded like. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny enough because. It's funny you mention this. When I took music appreciation last school year, yeah. we did like a whole, almost like half a class time was dedicated to these two versions. Wow. So if, if you if you look at, so I I'm, I'm might butcher this for, because <laughs> I'm just music drawing back from like, yeah. but from a year ago. But essentially, the, from my understanding, the Otis writing version was very much like, hey, women, I, I just talking to his, you know, supposed wife, significant other, right, brother, right. saying, "Hey, I want you to respect me. Essentially, I want you to help me." Yeah, and it was, it, it, it was kind of a man talking down to a I, woman. I, I, I looked into it too. It was, I think, it was more like a, "Hey, I'm, I'm showing you respect. Give me the two way street," you know. Yeah. And, uh, it, and you know, that's. I wouldn't say the song had misogynistic intent no, when he wrote it. No, I don't think so. But, but it's like, a product of the time. You know? Yeah, and, and it kind of has strains of it. It has, because some of it is kind of rooted in it, even if it wasn't meant to. Sure. You know, so I, I, I actually, did you find it? Did you ever find out what Otis Redding thought of this version? I don't I, 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 don't, I, I, I never did. I never, I never did either. But, yeah, but I, I'm interested, interested in hearing that, because again, I don't think it had misogynistic intent. Mm-hmm. However, Aretha Franklin, from my understanding, Aretha Franklin looked at it and she was like, you know what? Um, did, did you say you show me respect, but there's a lot of ways that you don't. And obviously, she said, and it's, tell me if I'm butchering this, mm-hmm. I'll show you respect when you show me respect, essentially, yeah. was what it was. I mean, come on. It, it is the feminist anthem. It pretty much the feminist anthem. And it was great, cause it, and it, which is why it's such a great cover, because it reworked the meaning of the original song. It, re, it took like kind of the basis of it, but completely flipped it on its head absolutely and to, to convey a, a, a much more powerful kind of socio-political mm-hmm. uh, message that still stands to this day which is one of the reasons why Aretha Franklin is so celebrated because she had that message all messages aside the actual musicality of the song oh. is tremendous oh it's fantastic it, 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 you don't even have to understand what the song is about just to jam out to it oh, you know of course it gets I, you off your feet it gets you moving and grooving I cannot love this song more than I already do from, I remember, from, I remember like, my teacher explaining this in class, and I might really butcher this, but mm-hmm. from my understanding, the Otis writing was very steady. It had a very steady beat, very like driving, kind of like a tank rolling, almost, right, right. in a sense. This one had a little, I don't want to say more funk, but had a little more, you know, more yeah. of, of more of a different kind of rhythm to it. Yeah. It was a, little, it, it was more, a lot more, I don't want to say playful, but a lot more for colorful things. Yes, and more, it definitely, more dynamic. But it still was powerful. The music itself was very powerful enough to drive that message. Absolutely. So absolutely deserving to be on this list just for how it was changed mm-hmm. alone. Honestly, at this at these points, I think pretty much every song from here and onward has the ability to be number one on yeah, this list. Yeah, it's it and take take the list to be very ambiguous. You know, we did number it, but it's like all these songs are just so iconic mm-hmm. and, and they really all have a special place. They're all better than the original. That's the key you got to look at. You know, they're all iconic and they're all classic. And uh, it's just songs that 
are they're what covers should be. Yes, you know. However, speaking of iconic songs, mm-hmm. this next for this next one, even yes. though the cover of it, even though there is a very famous cover of it, this version is not considered the iconic version. Right. So we got the cover of "I Fought the Law." By the Dead Kennedys. Recently done, but was it the Bobby Fuller 4? Yes. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Right? Yes, Bobby Fuller 4. I mm-hmm. had no idea. I didn't look that up. So, um, obviously, most people probably know the version done by The Clash. Absolutely. And you know what? It's a perfectly fine cover. I got no issues with it. I think they did it right before they sold out, so I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not The Clash I don't like. However, um, it's certainly better, and certainly that one's certainly better than the original. The original is just kind of milk toast 60s pop it's okay i love how passionate you get about the dead kenny's version of this song my god it's It's such a tremendous narrative behind it it, it it's great so i i I think i already told this when we me and elio did the uh, jelly biafra episode but but i'll i'll retell it it again story time with andrew so so i actually had to pull this up to make sure i got all the um facts right it looks like i do uh, so there was in back in the late 70s there was a man in San Francisco politics named Dan White and um, yeah and he did a very bad thing very bad thing um, he, he was oh what was it uh, he was elected as a Democrat uh, what uh, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors and he did work for a little while uh, he kind of resigned then unresigned a bit it was kind of a weird thing essentially. Mm-hmm. But eventually, eventually, the mayor said, yeah, you're not going to come back here. It's not going to happen. Taking advice from a lot of other people in the uh, San Francisco uh, political political system. Um, Also, she mentioned that Dan White is a former cop and firefighter. That will come into play very shortly. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the bad thing he did. Yeah, he straight up assassinated the the mayor and uh, what else? And, And Harvey... Lois, and uh, the main supervisor of uh, at the uh, San Francisco political building. He actually snuck in through the window. He went in and pleaded to have his job back. When the mayor said no, he shot him with a shotgun. The other guy ran over to the police station saying, I killed him. Yeah, um, pretty clear-cut case you would think of, you know, first-degree murder. Mm-hmm. Um, not quite, because remember, he was a former police officer, which means, yeah, he was kind of going to get it a bit easy. Um, a lot... And this is coming straight from Jello's mouth. He's done a lot of spoken word in his career, and certainly um, she's talked about this at length before. Yeah. So maybe take with a bit of bias with it. But uh, he, he, he said he remembered hearing stories about how police officers would bring Dan White gourmet food in his prison cell. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he they would go, um, they would wear free Dan White T-shirts around town, or they would. Um, I when his after his trial. Um, which we'll get to in a second, um, because it turned out very unfavorably for Dan White. Uh, mm-hmm. They played a lot of, um, uh, like, celebration music to celebrate the fact that, yes, our buddy's out of jail. Uh, it was essentially the narrative that Jello was pushing. Mm-hmm. And it, for, for good reason, because what ended up happening in the trial, um, they they were trying to go essentially kind of the insanity route in a way. They, 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 they were talking about how he suffered from depression and how he had um, recent, and apparently there was something in his brain um, and I'm paraphrasing here that essentially when he ate sugar it would kind of make him go into this depressive state of craziness mm-hmm. essentially so what had happened was he said well you see he ate too many Twinkies beforehand and so <laughs> that would made him go crazy to go shoot the mayor it has actually been dubbed the Twinkie defense <laughs> before it's the legal slang for it because they, they, they argued that 
that essentially sugar made him go insane and killed mayor. That's and he was saying, oh, please, that's ridiculous. That never worked. Yeah, it brought him down from a first-degree mans- first murder charge to a manslaughter and only charged him for manslaughter, which he served five years of a seven-year sentence. That's crazy. So, yeah, people weren't happy, and there were riots <laughs> afterward in San Francisco. In fact, actually, the um, cover image of the Dead Kennedy's first album, Fresh Fruits Rotting Vegetables, is actually a picture of one of the nights of the San Francisco riots. So, um, in response, and I think I imagine shortly after the Clash version got big, mm-hmm. what had happened, they, they, the Dead Kennedys covered the song and completely rewrote the lyrics, um, except for the chorus. Instead of the chorus, they went and go, I fought the law and the law won. The chorus in the Dead Kennedys version read, I fought the law and I won, because Jello is singing from the perspective of Dan White. There's even a lyric in there that said, Twinkies are the best friend I ever had. Oh, just it kind of, a lot like the, res, the, the Aretha Franklin's version of respect. He he, he saw Jello, uh, and again, they, they used a lot of sarcasm and what's the word, satire, mm-hmm. in their music to, to convey Jello's uh, political me- message, which he had a lot of. So he saw that, and he said, hey, actually, if you look at a lot of cases in American politics and society, that is not the case. So he completely flipped the meaning on his head again and, 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 and re- rewrote the lyrics into a way that... You, he saw as a very clear form of injustice. So Absolutely. I've always loved this version. To me, it is the definitive version, even musically. I think it's just the perfect punk song. Yeah. Um, just got it's it's even oddly danceable too to me. It's I just agree. great. Because it's just completely mocking the American political system. So yeah, that's vibes feel sorry. That was really <laughs> long winded. It is okay. I I you basically put in perspective how I felt about it when you first showed me this track. You should actually showed it to me last year, um, one of the first times we hung out, and I remember hearing this version and hearing the change in the lyricism and everything, and hearing that story from you the first time and being like, Yeah, that that's how you do a cover, you mm-hmm. know? you that not only um, changing the musicality of it, which in this instance wasn't that huge. But going I mean, especially from, well, especially from the original original, yeah, it kind of right. was. Actually, you don't have to write a cover that changes everything. You can change certain components and yes. still make it iconic. And some for some people, like the Captain Jazz cover, is changing the instrumentation. With um, the Dead Kennedys song, uh, when they do "I Fought the Law," it's all about the message. It's all about the lyricism. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, it's there's so many ways to do a cover and so many iconic covers. On this list, it's mm-hmm. it, it. This is why I love doing this episode. It was just interesting to see how people write these. Yeah, and I, I've I've always loved this version. Um, how, it, uh, how familiar are you with Jello Biafra's work? Not his solo work a lot, but um, you know, I've I've, I've obviously listened to the Dead Kennedys' first album a couple of times back yeah, when I was in so. grade school. So, so yeah, you definitely need to get back into all of it. <laughs> he's just for my money, like he's one of the two people I've I've always said one of the two people that I love. Um, that I like, I'd actually get starstruck if I met because I just I love his political messaging so much. Um, so yeah, certainly uh, a, a classic cover that needs to be talked about more. Absolutely. But one that certainly um, I think a lot of people don't even know that it's a cover. I certainly did when I was doing research. Um, would you like to introduce the next one? Well, sure. This is a cover that Andrew brought up, and I'm going to let number him take three. Yeah, right? number three, and uh, I'm going to let him take the um, the forefront and explain this one. But this one is Marvin Gaye's version of. I heard it through the grapevine originally by, who is uh, it? Um, did I not write it? By, oh, um, Gary Knight in the Pips, I think it's. N- right. No, Gladys Knight in the Pips? I think, Gladys huh? Knight. The Thank Pips. you. Thank you, Emil, for being our fact checker. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so, so 
so the original, I actually did not know this was a cover. Um, so the, the original version, after listening to it, was per- it's perfectly fine Motown song. If you like mm-hmm. me some Motown, perfectly fine. That's but, what I got it from it too. It was just a very, your very standard, yeah. interesting Motown piece. And then I think this, I want to say this is Marvin Gaye's breakout single. I could be wrong on that, but Marvin Gaye, complete, like, this is a cover that's been like completely reworked. And it is just night and day in quality mm-hmm. between the two to me. Uh, it has that I, that classic drum start, just that single slam on the drum that leads into that just iconic keyboard line. And just everything's just so smooth. Everything just flows wonderfully together. Mm-hmm. You have just the melodies different, and it is just that hook is just with you to the end of time after mm-hmm. you first hear it. Marvin Gaye's voice, just, just so much soul and passion into it. It, it just, like, I can't not think about, like, I cannot picture the song being any different than the Marvin Gaye version. This this song, for me, is a great example of production, how production quality can change oh, the way a song can come out and, and change the emotions a person will feel when listening to it. I mean, when you listen to the two covers side by side, it's night and day in terms of production quality. And I think that is what really sells the song to be on the list, not just because of the musicality, but how really time can make a song better when it's done by someone else with better equipment and better um, yeah. grasp on that sort of thing. Well, Marvin Gaye was still a Motown artist, so this was the same label. Yeah. I don't know if they had different equipment. I don't know what the deal with that was, but you know, I, I imagine the equipment was the same. I just maybe, I don't know, maybe it was him or one of his producers saw the song in a completely different way and they Absolutely. reworked it to make it just one of the most iconic songs of the yeah. 60s. It, it just, it, when I listen to this, it just goes to show how much I need to get into some Marvin Gaye. I'm more of an Al Green guy myself, but God, I need and to I don't in. know much about Al Green, so... Yeah. We'll, we'll <laughs> swap <you> then. <laughs> well, you can borrow my copy of what's going on. All right, <laughs> sounds good. All right. But that, that took number three, but number two is one that I knew needed to be on there, yes. uh, not only on the list, but towards the top of the list. I mean, come yeah. on. Here we got the uh, speaking red, of another Mo, now another Motown cover. Indeed, um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers cover of Higher Ground, originally written by Stevie Wonder. And when I go back, here's my gripes with the Stevie Wonder original. And we talked you you mentioned earlier that you don't like the expression of things sounding dated, right? And mm-hmm. that that does goes to show on a lot of different things. But I think in the terms of the Stevie Wonder original song. Um, those synths, those, uh, the di- or not synths, but the kind of wah-wah effects that the, he throws the, the over. The funky kind of Yeah, it, it is, it's not, it's, it's very of its time. I, I guess, but here's the thing, and I, I, I agree, well, the Red Hot Chili Peppers version is better. I really like the Stevie Wonder cover, too. Yeah. I also, I'm a huge Stevie fan, but mm-hmm. yeah, I've always, I've always loved the, I've always loved when he, when he's, in the early 70s when you were really starting incorporating funk music into his sound. Mm-hmm. I loved how that guitar sounds, you know. But to me, the thing that, that that separates this, for me personally at least, that separates the Stevie version and the Chili Peppers version is that Chili Peppers version is pretty much the same song except, like, just beefed up like tenfold oh yeah it's just it's it, it's it's the, i don't think i don't think the chili peppers version's as funky not quite as funky as the stevie version but it makes up for it being really heavy loud and punchy it's funky in a different context it's really it turns a 70s song into a 21st century song the uh the 21st century song not 21st i know it wasn't it, they did the cover in the 90s right 
or uh, this was late Mother's 80s? Milk. That was Mother's Milk release. That was mo- it was Mother's Milk. I yes. know that. But Mother's. for me, it's yeah. just like you get all the things that you want from the Chili Peppers. You get Flea's amazing bass lines. You get awesome guitar work. So at least seven, 89, sorry. 89. So either way, um, you got a decade in between, and they're somehow able to turn it into a song that mm-hmm. is going to be cherished for years to come. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, it definitely made it... Then this the, Both songs are actually kind of of its time because uh, something that uh, a lot of people tend to forget. There was a very brief, but you know, for, for it was kind of like a quick bang, mm-hmm. uh, a trend of funk metal in the late 80s. So yeah, this would have fit perfectly course. within that time, too. So I think they definitely saw something that... Super Pepper definitely saw something in that song that they could retool for their mm-hmm. own sound. I mean, I... We need to do a Red Hot Chili Peppers episode one of these days because I, uh, I, 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 I'll lo- just be complaining after. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> but dude, I, I, this uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers is one of the first bands I ever got into, and yeah, yeah. and this and this song just uh, to this day sticks with me. If I ever want a song that it'll mm-hmm. get me hopping and moving around and getting going and getting happy. I oh, it, come back to higher. It's, to me, it's it's actually more of a headbanger to me because it's just <laughs> really? one of their heaviest songs in my 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 ears. So like mm-hmm. I just I hear this and I just jam. This is this is honestly kind of even though it's a very anti-war message, mm-hmm. uh, the original. It, that's I guess that's my one gripe with real gripe with the Chili Peppers version. I feel like turning into such what's essentially a party rock jam. Yeah, um, kind of loses some of that political messaging. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a, admittedly a very minor gripe, and honestly, I think it's really might be the only problem that I have. But uh, to me, I still think it's an excellent cover and well deserving of the number two spot. Now, I want you to do number one. Well, but first, okay. Oh, are we doing some personal picks? Uh, 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 some, we'll do uh, some honorable mentions and honorable some mention. of our other personal ones. So, ones that we both had, I think we both kind of collectively had, and like the, mm. the final ones, but just missed a cut. Really. Cocaine Bear Clapton, and yes. that's one you definitely wanted mm-hmm. on there. Gloria by Patti Smith. Mm-hmm. Am I Evil by Metallica. It's a great we did We did, we did tr- really try yeah. to get a, a Metallica song on there, something off garaging, yeah. but it just barely made it. Uh, um, the Renegades of Funk by Rage Against Machine mm-hmm. also just missed the cut, and as did uh, Twist and Shout by The Beatles. Mm-hmm. My personal picks, I'll let you get Sorry. No, 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 no. I actually don't have any personal picks. You, you, you got my personal picks on the list. It was mainly just landslide and take on me that I really wanted um, on there. Well, for me, uh, a couple other ones that I would have loved to have on here. Uh, a really underrated SoCal punk band from the late 70s called The Avengers did a great cover on their one and only album, A Painted Black, by the Rolling Stones. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think it's better than the original. I'm going to straight up say it. Would I you think... say it's better than the YouTube version? I haven't heard the YouTube <laughs> version. And quite frankly, I want to keep it that way. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. Uh, what else we got? Oh, um, the, um, also a late, uh, a mid-80s alternative band. Like, an early 80s punk band turned mid-80s alternative band, the Gun Club. Just a great version of CCR's Run Through the Jungle. It's got so much groove and energy. I love that one. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I, I, I was in strong consideration of Nothing Compares to You, Sonetta Connor's cover of a Prince of the Old Prince song. Um, love, again, like I said in our first episode of the season, I've been getting into a lot of Sinead O'Connor, so that was a classic one I wanted to put on there. And then uh, the only, the only cover of a Sabbath song I would ever consider better original. There are some great Sabbath color covers, but none of them quite top the originals. Mm-hmm. The only one that I could think of was uh, Marissa Nadler, who's kind of like a neo-folk artist from 
that kind of started in, I want to say, the mid-2000s. She does a fantastic cover of Solitude. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the only one, only Sabbath cover I would ever consider better than the original. But anyways, enough Number of that. Number one spot. Are you sure there's, no, there's none that you want to mention first? Nope. Are you we, sure? I am sure. All right. I guess I'll say the number one first, and then you can talk about it. Number one, we've got The Man Who Sold the World, done by Nirvana, uh, covered by Nirvana, originally done by David Bowie. <laughs> Whatever. You know what? We, we're just going to go with it. Ah! Uh. I keep screwing it up. Anyways, yes, I know. It's a really, really obvious choice, but we kind of had to put it in there. Yeah, we needed something off of that MTV Unplugged album, and we deba- we threw around Lake of Fire, and we threw around... Um, the, we, we was pretty, between, pretty much between Lake and Fire and... Plateau James. was in there for a minute, too. Um, you no, know, I, think, I think I had specifically said I prefer the Meat Puppets version of Plateau. Okay. But here's the thing, I love... Here's the thing, yeah, and, you know, Lake of Fire and Manus of the World, to me, are pretty much on the same level when it comes to covers. While I love both the originals of those songs, I think the Nirvana covers are better, um, just because Kurt brings a lot of anguish and pain to those. Um, yes. But you were more leaning towards the Man Who Sold the World, from my understanding, so that's when I kind of conceded. Right. Can't have both, so and we'll I have that one. I do love the David Bowie version of it. It's classic, it's iconic, but uh, there's something that Kurt brings to this song. Like you said, that level of anguish, that kind of you can hear that pain and this is um let's see mtv unplugged that was 94 so this was like a so couple is, of months before he committed this, suicide this you're hearing it and you can hear it you can yeah. hear it in the way this song is performed yeah. that there's almost there, almost that black star effect that we're talking about yeah, of a I, man who, who's coming towards e- the end of his life e- even the lake of fire version you can hear that and yeah it's it's really hard to hear but the thing and and honestly I tried to make this more of a man sold the world, but you can't, can't 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 talk about one without talking about the other in this case because with both those versions, I mean, more so with the Meat Puppets since the Meat Puppets were relatively unknown, but mm-hmm. they really brought those two songs like out of like obscurity because no one really knew who the Meat Puppets were. I think Absolutely. until Nirvana covered it, mm-hmm. and with the, while Bowie was obviously a legend by that point. I mean, let's face it. Like at least I, I imagine before then, the Man Who Sold the World probably wasn't one of his more well-known pieces of work no. before it. No. And so I think Kurt, while he probably never he never really liked the fame, he definitely had a lot of cultural impact at the time. And it definitely and, and, and definitely one of the best probably things to come from that was definitely the resurgence of those mm-hmm. two two artists and songs. I just I'd also like to point out that uh this is the an, another uh, grunge pick takes the number one spot. Oh we yeah. Had, we had Pearl Jam take number one yeah. last and time. The 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 third and of all three of our, um, all three number one spots in all the uh, history of sound checks, 10 lists come from the 90s. So That's true. We 90s, had, I had, guess, are the best time of music. Yeah. <laughs> That's debatable. It's debatable. Early yeah. 90s, definitely so. But, all right. but yeah, no. Um, it, it just, just, you know, here's the one thing that always confused me about this. Mm-hmm. It's not a knock on it. It's just, I thought the whole concept of MTV, MTV Unplugged, it was all acoustics and strings and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Why was there? Why is there electric guitar in this version? That always threw me off. It's like, the, the, oh, it sounds really good. But. Because that that opening riff is just so iconic, and it needs to be played with some yeah. level of distortion. But w- later, when you actually get into the acoustic parts, I love my favorite part of this track might actually be um, Chris Novoselic playing the acoustic bass, yes. just providing this warm, uh, fuzzy feeling um, on the instrumentation, and just adding that extra layer of depth to the song. It, it, every time I listen to it, I, I cannot 
um, that's the that's the part of the song that jumps out to me the most besides Kurt's vocals. Mm -hmm. So I mean. Anything else you would like to say on this? No, on I think I'm going to mean it, it speaks for itself, really. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go, folks. That is our top 10 covers that are better than the original. Uh, the conclusion of another top 10 list, and you will get, definitely have more in the future. And now it's your favorite part of the show, our weekly recommendations. Weekly recommendations. So I think I'll go first. and Go for it. Um, funny enough, I, I thought it would be appropriate for the show. I'm going to recommend a covers album. Well, kind of. It's not quite out yet. So I'm not going to recommend <laughs> the whole album quite so far. But um, a, an artist I've been actually kind of getting into this year is the work of Juliana Hatfield. Uh, definitely one who I know is a very, has made a lot of albums and is, has a name credited to a lot of things. So I definitely need to do some more exploring from her. But I did hear um, her, the album she released this year, Weird, and I really, really liked it. Uh, but from my understanding, the album that preceded that was a cover specifically of all Olivia Newton-John songs. Here's the thing. I know fuck all about Olivia Newton-John, <laughs> so I, I can't recommend – I'm not going to really recommend that. I haven't listened to it because I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. However, something she is releasing, I think, towards the end of this year is a covers album on all police songs. And anyone who knows me Ooh. knows I love me some police. And uh, she's already released covers of, I think, Next to You and – to do to wada wada whatever they're like I can't never say that <laughs> fucking cover but you know the one the one with the nonsense title that's actually making fun of nonsense so songs but you know it, it's they're both great renditions I'm not gonna say they're better than the originals like mm -hmm. for the theme of this episode but I think what I've heard is definitely strong so far and I think her sound will definitely fit the police and I'm really excited to hear how, how that album's gonna turn yeah. out so remind me when that's getting close to coming out I'll check that I'll, out too. I also will recommend her. Uh, the album she had uh, weird earlier this year. It's great. Cool. But anyways, that's mine. What are you going to recommend? Well, Michael? Um, over the weekend, I was able to attend maybe my 24th <laughs> musical experience. I you went. You saw one of your probably one of your favorite artists, at least modern artists. Yeah, I, I got to see Mac DeMarco live. Uh, one of my favorite indie artists of all time. The guy, you know, someone say the godfather of indie rock, right? Uh, and I got to. It was at the Masonic Temple in Detroit. Great show, um, great view, and I couldn't have asked for a better performance with so much personality by Mac. So as I'm going back and listening to the, the his discography, I never really delved into. Because um, Mac DeMarco does this thing where af after he releases an album, he'll release the demo versions of all the song. He'll release a demo album, which usually has some hidden tracks, some B-sides, things like that, along with different versions of all the songs he's written. And uh, I went back and listened to the Salad Days demo, which is one of my favorite albums of his, his classic one. And... I found tracks like Pepperoni Playboy, which is uh, instrumental, and then uh, the demo version of Brother to be amazing tracks. And I cannot recommend going back and checking out these demo records that Mac DeMarco puts out. You need, you know, you can get the uh, the pristine production and the amazing um, songwriting ability on the on the main albums, but going and listening to those demo versions of the albums, that's where you're gonna get Mac in full force and full personality. So that's that's what I got to recommend, is go back and check out Mac DeMarco's demo albums, but more specifically, Salad Day's demos, more specifically, the songs Pepperoni Playboy and the demo version of Brother. And that is what I got. 
I don't know anything about Mac DeMarco. So I have nothing to comment on. <laughs> this is great. We're doing a Mac DeMarco episode. Uh, we'll have to. We'll have to. You, this this is something you might be able to get into. It's going to be like my version of giving you St. Vincent. There or you, you giving me St. Vincent. So what a, However it worked. Anyways, next episode. Uh, from I think what we decide to do is something a little, a little odd. Well, th- this whole month is going to be kind of a, a spooky kind of conspiracy, like Halloween-style episodes. We're kind of getting seasonal, and I like it. I guess. <laughs> I mean, t- to be quite frank, I'm gonna say it. I, I hate Halloween. I hate most holidays. What the hell, dude? I hate most holidays. So, um, but anyways, but sure, I guess so. Um, so n- uh, next, we're gonna do something a little different. We're not gonna talk a whole lot about like specific artists or or songs. Well, it's songs, I guess, but like not even necessarily the music. We're talking mm-hmm. talk about lore. We're talking about. I guess conspiracy theories. Talk about crazy stories in the music industry. Yeah. We're essentially getting behind some really odd and quirky music stories. Um, yeah. Some of them you may have heard of. Some of them, some of them you've certainly heard of. Some of them you might not be as familiar with. Um, it'll make more sense when we get into it. But uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that one. I think yeah. that should be a fun one. It's going to be different. It's going to be very conversational, and it's going to be a really fun time. Definitely tune in for that one. All right. I, I think so. I think I'll be fun. So, right. but anyways, yeah. Uh, other than that, I. I think we're all done here. All right. Good night, Detroit. Detroit.